What is up, everyone? Welcome to the Cub Cooker Supernatural Podcast. My name is Jacob Cooker, but my friends call me Cub, and you should too. Every day on the Cub Cooker Supernatural Podcast, we discuss faith, spirituality, and the realms of paranormal. Today, I have a very special episode for you. This is maybe one of my most requested explanations, if you will. Um, I posted a video quite some time ago, maybe almost two years ago now, and um, it was on why would Yahweh refer to himself as Elohim in the book of Job? And at the time I posted it as more of a rhetorical question. Since then, I've literally had millions of views on that video and thousands and thousands of comments of people, well-meaning people trying to explain it to me. However, the point of that post was a rhetorical post to get people to think. And today I'm going to actually share the data that I have uncovered as to why there are multiple voices in the book of Job. Why is the book of Job such a hard book to read? And why when you go to Bible study and hear a Bible study on the book of Job, not only is it an incorrect interpretation, but it is actually harming you. And I wanted to talk about that today because the book of Job is is really a good study into what we're dealing with as far as the different deities of the Bible. Um, and I want to share with you today from a very non-religious point of view, what I have uncovered in my many, many years of studying and searching. Um, I've gone through seminary coursework. I've mentored under pastors. Um, I have mentored under some incredible scholars. Um, and really at this point, I wanted to share minds. Okay. My findings are going to bridge a bunch of different belief systems from ancient astronaut to biblical theology to uh, polytheism. We're going to look at a lot of different things. Haley says, excited for this one. Awesome. Good for you, Haley. Thank you for being here, by the way. I appreciate it. Um, I promised I would do this today, and I don't have quite as long as I did yesterday, the whole two hours um, to do this today because I have a bunch on the agenda today. However, I wanted to go ahead and burn through this and really just get straight to the point with some questions, comments, and concerns that you guys had about the book of Job. So for some reason, Instagram is like telling people that I'm live. Let me just end Instagram now. It's an absolute crapshoot as to where this will actually go out on Instagram or not. Um, so let me try this again. We'll go live on Instagram again. Thank you, Instagram. Um, there we go. Let's see. Get it going here. This is why I have multiple devices because, you know, you never know which one is what one is going to do. Okay. We're telling your followers you started a live video. Good. Thank you. Thank you, Instagram. Okay. So, uh, Mike Vincent, what's up, my friend? Thank you for being here. Tristan, cool spirit. Paul Toast, Janet, thank you for joining. Sherry, thanks for being here. Common Sense 365, what's up? Tyler, thanks for following. Appreciate you, my friend. Francisco, Archangel, we've got a ton of people on today. Thank you guys on TikTok. Uh, I will be checking comments as I go. So I'm going to go ahead and jump in. I've got some really good notes today that are going to explain what is going on here. Okay, immediately, when we look at the book of Job, by the way, if you're not Christian, that's fine. If you're not really into the Bible, that's fine. This is still a really relevant episode, okay? Uh, really, really relevant. Absolutely, my friend. If you have a question, drop it down below. Love to answer it if it pertains to the episode today. So Job 1 it says that there was a man in the land of Uz, Uz, whose name was Job. 
that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God. Okay, but the word here is Elohim. Okay, one who feared Elohim and turned away from evil. Now, I have put in my notes, there is a lot of arguing right now. Elohim, no, Elohim is talking about God. If it's capitalized, it's talking about the one true God, blah, blah, blah. That is not necessarily true, guys. Historically, the word Elohim is a plural word. It's used especially pre-biblical, especially pre what we call the deity Yahweh, it was referring to a bunch of different gods. It was, again, a plural. Like you would say, people is plural. Um, Elohim is plural. So um, Elohim or Elohim, depending on how you pronounce it. Um, I've, I get uh, you know chewed up in the comments both ways, by the way. So, you know, people that are smarter than me. So, um, so Elohim is... It's, it's very interesting because we've got to look at the word for what it is. Again, um, in Ugarat, um, the gods called Elim or Elohim were considered the children of El, with El as the progenitor of the universe and the consort of Asherah, described as the mother of 70 gods. So I just want to remind you, when you pick up a Bible and when you read your Bible, you are literally getting, okay, not only has it been agreed upon literally hundreds of different times throughout history, what should even be in there, but the translation that you have, there's about 80 core translations right now, you know, from the NIV to the NLT, uh, to the King James, all of those things, all of them are going to just put basically like God or Lord capitalized in place of these actual proper words that really give us the context as to what we're actually reading. Okay, the only way you can discover this, and today I'm just going for the throat, guys. This is literally how I study the Bible, how I study the Sumerian tablets, how I study uh, ancient Jewish mysticism, ancient Christian Gnosticism. I study all kinds of different religious traditions by looking up the actual root words, okay? The core root words. Now you can read some things like if you get into the Vedic texts and stuff, there's a lot less processing that's gone on with those texts because there was an effort to really preserve that rather than manipulate it to be what it needed to be for a certain culture and time, especially the Romanization of the Christian texts and the Hebrew texts has really manipulated and changed a whole lot of what's in there. So if you don't believe me, just you know, go take a course on biblical theology, like at a college, not a church, but like a college and get like the overview of actually what is in that book and learn things like Hebrew and Greek, at least the root words, at least the base understandings to really get into this. So, um, Cindy, what is up, my friend? Thank you for being here. I think it means sons of the light, but nah. uh, yeah. And that's a different, that's a whole different word, by the way, Wendy. Uh, but yes, yes, that's a, that's a good word to learn as well. Uh, cause you have the Bana Elohim, the sons of God, uh, or the powerful ones is actually what that means. So, um, but we're not necessarily talking about that today so much as we're just going to look at the, again, the culturally within the Canaanite pantheon, because basically what you have is you have the Sumerian, Babylonian, Akkadian, which is what we call the Mesopotamian pantheon of gods. That that includes things like King Anu, which is the king of the gods, which is El Elyon in this pantheon. It includes Enlil, 
which is Baal. If you've heard of Baal from the biblical canon, um, that's the god of rain, thunder, fertility. Um, he didn't like serpents, had enmity with serpents. Um, and then Yam, which is Anki, god of the sea, associated with serpents and knowledge. Um, all of this extrapolates into things like Zeus. Um, you've got Poseidon, you know, the god of the sea. So you, you got to think of like this just it gets adopted into culture after culture after culture. Um, and why is that? I mean, ancient astronaut theory states there was probably a set of beings that came down to earth and got cultures started. And every culture had a different name for that archetype, where that God came from, how he showed up, he or she showed up, be it from a spacecraft or a watercraft or whatever. Um, lots of different, you know, interpretations on that. I'm not here to prove any of them, but rather just theorize and enjoy the process. That's that's what I do here. So uh, don't get hung up on it. I'm not here to get religious. I'm not here to get dogmatic. I'm just here to look at the data, look at, you know, what, what the past has to tell us. And the book of Job is much more interesting when you understand this core of ancient mythologies because ancient mythologies dictate what our modern religions are. Um, and that's just, that's just how it is. Right. So, um, that's where the garden of Eden story comes from. Absolutely. It comes right out of Sumerian, um, mythology. Absolutely. Elohim is the God who created us in their image. Yes. Um, and it's not the God, it's the gods. Exactly. So yeah, Patty, uh, Elohim, again, being plural gods, it said, let us create man in our own image. It literally says that, okay? Every pastor in the world is going to try to get around that and just say, well, God is all things. So God is referring to himself. You know, it's just some, it's malarkey, guys, because we've got to, that's why you're not going to hear this in church, because this is polytheism and it is all over your Bible. In fact, Yahweh divided up the nations amongst their gods, okay? That wasn't amongst their imaginary, you know, idols they wanted to worship. That was literally the different cultures, okay? 70 different gods, 70 different tribes or peoples, you know, and, and he divided up these nations, right? Um, very, very interesting, okay? So we got we to gotta get that out of the way and deconstruct a little bit. Um, so to understand the book of Job within the biblical narrative, we have to go back to the Canaanite pantheon of deities. The Canaanite pantheon discovered through historical artifacts represented a divine clan led by the supreme god El. Okay, El is different from Elohim. El is the short form of El Elyon, which means God most high or king of the gods. Um... Over time, this pantheon evolved uh, with El and Asherah prominent in earlier eras. While later years saw the ascendancy of Baal and his consorts, notably many Canaanite deities influenced the Greek and Roman pantheon with parallels seen in Zeus, Aphrodite, Athena, Poseidon, and Hades. So again, that you know, this extrapolates across a lot of different cultures, by the way. So um and i'll get to comments here in a minute guys i know yeah if you're gonna do like multi-part comments i just can't get to them right now so give me like a single comment th that's talking about what i'm talking about and i'll get to it because a lot of people do that on tiktok as well so 
Uh, not that I don't love you. It's just, it's really hard for me, but the way it shows up in my software, it scrambles it with everybody else's comments. So I can't read your book. Just give me like the short form paragraph of what you want to say. So, um, okay. So I'm going to go ahead and read from Job here. So we have Job again, he feared Elohim. So he feared the gods. Okay. That's, that's basically what he's saying. Um, who was upright and feared God. Again, it's been transformed into God, but the footnote is that it is actually Elohim. Okay, and, and one can argue that Elohim, no, is, is a singular, but if you look at the word, it is actually the feminine plural, Elohim. Okay, there is a masculine singular version of it as well. Uh, there were born to him seven sons and three daughters. His possessions were also 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels. By the way, the dude was loaded. I mean, he was rich AF, like super, super loaded. Um, his sons went and held a feast in the house uh, on his birthday, blah, blah, blah. Um, Job sanctifies them. He rose up early in the morning and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my sons have sinned and renounced God in their hearts. Job did so continually. Okay. So, and again, God here is going to be, so this is going to be verse five, Job one, five. I've got to look it up. Job one colon five. And I'm going to look this up on Bible hub so we can actually look at what the Hebrew is that's used here. Uh, because I like to look every single time it says something like God or, you know, any important word that we feel like is important. We need to look at the actual etymology of it, the root word of it. What is the mechanism of it? What does it mean? Because words are so important. So again, here he says, uh, my children have sinned. Doesn't say it may be that they might have. It actually says my children have sinned and cursed Elohim. Strong's 430. This is the masculine plural. This is talking about the supreme God or um gods so again different different words used at different times here and it's important to understand the the particular point of view that they're being used if that makes sense okay so now we get into the very interesting part so it says now on that day when god's sons came to present themselves before yahweh the proper name um, which is often represented by capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, Lord in all caps. In most biblical translations, you're going to see, it says, the sons of God came to present themselves before Yahweh. Satan also came with them. Yahweh said to Satan, where have you come from? Now, this is very interesting here. So we're going to look at Job chapter one, verse six, because this, this is where it gets spicy, y'all uh spicy spicy okay on the day bana elohim banaha elohim okay this literally means the sons of god or the sons of the gods came to present themselves before yahweh which is the proper name of the god of israel one of the elohim so the offspring of the gods come to present themselves before lord yahweh and Hasatan, which means an opponent or an arch enemy of the good. So this is not necessarily a person or a character of Satan. It is 
an opponent. The opponent, by the way, could be a good guy if the Elohim are bad guys or if they're up to something that's not very good. Now, one can argue after you read through the book of Job, if you've never gone through the book of Job, he is absolutely put to the fire by these gods, by the way. Jonathan, love you, brother. But seriously, I just said, like, I can't I'm, I can't go back and look. At, you got way too many comments going on. Like, give me one a one-liner that has to do with what I'm talking about if I'm going to read it on the air. Uh, otherwise, I won't get to your book. I'm sorry. I know you're super smart. I appreciate that. But just try to keep it to, like, something that I can read on the air just so it benefits everybody here. I appreciate that, my friend. Thank you. Um, Fierce Threads, thanks for joining. Uh, the Real Code Red says, uh, I think they were super advanced people. Yeah, they might have just been highly evolved beings, highly evolved humanoids from another planet, another star system, something like that, right? That especially if you read Zachariah Sitchin's work, um, The Twelfth Planet, or if you read The Lost Book of Anki, stuff like that, uh, you're going to see a very interesting correlation between these gods or these Elohim creating humanity, um, doing things that sound very technological. Um, we talked yesterday about how they literally took a Petri dish and took the essence of a bunch of different deities and mixed that with something from this planet and then impregnated one of the Anunnaki gods. This is how we get this idea of this council of Elohim, a bunch of different Elohim who are on this planet to do something we don't really know what they were up to other than we got to go way back in time to look at some of the original mythologies to see that maybe they were up to something. So, um, C Trey says, Hey man, if you read Genesis, you see how God created earth. You will know that there is no space. Okay. That is not true, my friend. And, and I'm going to be a hundred percent honest with you. That is called a mythos. Okay. It's an ancient myth. The book of Genesis does not say that God created heaven and earth. It says the gods. Literally, that's exactly what I'm talking about today. Go back, listen to the very beginning of this. The gods, Elohim, created all of this. Okay, they're called the demiurge. Okay, it's a creator. It doesn't mean it's the purveyor of the universe with some intelligent design on everything. It means something was already there after the Big Bang. And maybe the true God is behind that big bang right like the the spirit of god jesus said my father is in spirit and in truth um he's talking about this god that's behind the scenes um that you know he says no man has seen god at any time literally and he even tells everyone at his time you are worshiping hasatan the accuser the accuser of the spirit within you like all of the gods you're worshiping are the accuser of the spirit within you the hasatan uh, and that's literally what Jesus was saying, right? He was he was a yogi, a mystic. He was speaking of like this God outside of these physical beings or multidimensional beings that were coming into our reality, creating stuff, right? So he was speaking outside of the terms of the demiurge, talking about a spirit within each human. A I call it a quantum energy. It's like you have life because of this thing that nobody can explain, uh, nobody can explain where your consciousness actually comes from. Nobody can explain actually what the thing is that gives life. Like we know there's blood pumping and everything, but if you turn that off long enough and then re-pump all of that blood and get all, even if you could get all the organs in the body to work again, you can't put life back in that body. Okay. 
that's where you get like uh frankenstein's monster and all of those things from like we've never been able to like reanimate anything after a certain period of time right and you have all these ancient rituals from egypt and everything where they're trying to reanimate people and prepare them for the afterlife through mummification and things like that and all of these rituals after people pass on so the mystery of life is the mystery of this god within you the kingdom of god is within you jesus says uh, and i'm not trying to harp on jesus today i just really dig his teachings i'm not a traditional christian theologian when it comes to uh, who Jesus was as far as the death, burial, resurrection, salvation of humanity type thing. I believe he came to return knowledge to people and tell people, this is who you really are. You got to wake up to it um, and find the life force or source within you. Uh, yoke with that, and then you will become Elohim, just like the God. This is literally what the serpent told people in the garden, right? And that's why I did a whole series on Jesus is Lucifer uh, and the connection of the archetypes. Okay. Again, I can't prove any of this is anything because it might just all be stories to tell us about like a human condition that we have to face at some point in one of our lives. Right. So um, let's see, are the Elohims back? Um, good question. Uh, they're either back or maybe they never left. I mean, that's a really good, like, you know, thought. Um, if they never left, maybe they uh, left something here to monitor. Maybe they left a frequency device. Uh, Billy Carson did a great, great film called The Black Knight Satellite. Uh, it's like this ancient technology orbiting the Earth right now. Um, allegedly, I don't have eyes on it, but apparently there's a lot of different leaks on it. So interesting to go look into. Um, and that would explain where maybe the Anunnaki left something here to monitor the planet uh, monitor our evolution and they're able to send and receive frequencies and literally work through people anybody that puts himself in that frequency will just kind of automatically come online with this and do the will of whatever is coming through that satellite right um and you can go look up info on it a lot of people have tried to debunk it that's fine i mean i'm not i'm not here to prove anything uh just throw theories around i think like whatever sticks to the wall you know of your heart your mind you know, go look into it. So that that's really what I'm here for. So, uh, yeah, absolutely. A lot of Jesus's lessons are actually told by Plato 300 years prior. They're also told by Krishna and Buddha. They're also told by um, many, many, many different mystics throughout history. So that's another thing like Krishna says, whenever unrighteousness abounds, I will manifest myself uh, to man. And so it's very, very interesting. Uh, there's a lot of different, a lot of different theories on that, you know. Uh, that's why I focus less on Jesus as a person in a time and place and more of Christ, the spirit of enlightenment or anointing within all humanity, because Jesus called himself the son of man, which literally translates to humanity or offspring of humans. That's that's literally what it translates to. So super, super fascinating. Nancy says uh, Planet X. Yeah, Planet X, uh, if it's around, right? I mean, it's not mainstream at all. But the theory is, is maybe there's a very long elliptical orbit of some hypothetical planet um, that's been debated by many, many different people and really, you know, shut down on the mainstream side. But very interesting to the idea that maybe there's, you know, every 30,000 years or something, there's these beings that hop off and check on our evolution and really they're ruling uh, via worship through some sort of resonance device above our planet. And they're able to, you know, speak back and forth to people, give dreams or visions. 
you know, even the idea of Yahweh pouring his spirit out on people, young men will dream dreams and visions, um, can all be done through things like frequency device. I mean, even like our technology at this point is getting to the point where you can send frequencies or telepathic messages to people. Um, you know, there's some really interesting rumors about that. So, uh, very interesting stuff to think about. A lot of these things within the Bible can easily be accomplished with modern technology or what we might consider postmodern as in, you know, it might happen in the next one to 300 years. Like we're going to be able to repeat any of these things within the Bible, just with technology and imagine an archaic people meeting something with a lot of technology, a highly evolved race, they would worship them as gods. And so what if Jesus is like literally just trying to say, don't you know that you are gods? Like you're, you are the offspring. You are the Elohim. Um, like, why are you forgetting this? You know, so why is what I'm telling you that crazy basically? And that, that's how I interpret that. So, um, let's see, uh, Cat Noir says, I feel Emperor Constantine just made Jesus up when he created the Bible. Yeah. I don't think he made him up necessarily as he definitely, there's some appropriation that happens, right? If Jesus was a wandering mystic that just challenged the status quo at every turn and then was unalived for it, that's not as good a story as there was an immaculate conception. He was literally a god on the earth, uh, just like the ancient myths talked about having to have the right genetic prowess, all of those things. You know, he had a specific line. He filled all the messianic prophecies. Then, oh, by the way, his unalivement, rather than, you know, people couldn't handle his message, uh, it was for your salvation because remember original sin you know you got the thing in the garden which actually if you flip that story on its end is actually the reverse where we got released from the outdoor imprisonment of the garden of eden so totally different you know totally different point of view if you look at it from a different point of view so um jonathan thank you my friend appreciate it sorry not not to come down on your your multi-part i'll try to go back and read all of that later but just while I'm live, there's so many comments going on. So Jonathan says, what's interesting when I hear you say that Elohim is plural feminine, which I've known for a long time, but here and you say it just now reminds me of how we are called the feminine bride of Christ. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And that that makes a lot of sense, right? Like when you get into those archetypes of the bride of Christ and everything like that. And of course, Jesus himself used some allegories like that talking about you know when the bridegroom is in the chamber you do not mourn you wait until the bridegroom is out of the chamber um and so you know he taught there's a lot of like the wedding feast stuff like that there's even the theory and i actually track with it that his wedding was the wedding at cana like you know they're at cana then you talk about the canaanite pantheons and like we forget about polytheism mixed into all of this from the very beginning brenda says thumbs up thank you my friend uh, revelation is awakening. Absolutely. Wendy. Absolutely. So this is where, you know, it just gets super weird because now we have, uh, then Satan answered Yahweh and said for going back and forth on the earth and from walking up and down in it. Okay. So Yahweh said to Satan, where have you come from? And then Satan answers, you know, Hey, I've been, I've been on the earth. I've been walking back and forth on the earth, uh, up and down on it. I've, I've been here basically. Um, and I think that that was Satan's answer. Again, this, this entire story makes you question, you know, Satan's not the one that did something bad to Job. It's literally the God that he was worshiping so that this is where, again, you're not going to hear this in church because every church on the planet right now, or most of them, I would say 99% of them 
are going to teach from the perspective that Yahweh is the father of Jesus, that Yahweh is who Jesus was talking about. There is literally no connection if you are willing to dig into it and deconstruct that idea from the beginning. If you were to read the Bible and you were to pick up the Bible and just read it completely unindoctrinated to it, you would never make the connection that somehow Jesus was the son of Yahweh. You would make the connection if you were just to read it freshly. You've never been exposed to it. You read it in your adulthood when you have an analytical mind and a logical heart. And you can look at it and you go, clearly Jesus is challenging all of the cultural deities. Clearly, that's what he's challenging here. And if you were not indoctrinated into the idea that Jesus and Yahweh are connected or Jesus is the son of Yahweh, um, even the idea of Yeshua um, has Yah in it. Yahweh, Yeshua. Um, and I put a little bit of that in the notes as well. But again, we don't even know what his name was. There's even a theory that he didn't even live in the time that the Bible says, because there's no actual like traditional evidence, right? To, to show, oh yeah, he lived here. There's more evidence to show that he went to India and his name was Isa, um, and that he actually went there with his wife, Mary Magdalene, Mary of Magdola, who was practicing magic. He was practicing quantum magic too. Um, understanding that yoking yourself with the force of life within you and channeling that out into the world is how you manifest, how you create, how you do everything that you're supposed to be doing to manifest the kingdom of God rather than wait for it to come in the sky. Because he even said the kingdom of God does not come with visible signs. Okay, he says this in the Bible. He says it in the Gospel of Thomas. He says it in all kinds of other extra canonical scriptures, 111 on the uh, viewers right now. Loving the numerology today. Thank you, guys. Um, and so you have Satan here. Satan says, hey, I've been here. Yahweh says to Satan. So these are two, two deities right here talking. But remember, we have that third elusive deity, which is actually a council of Elohim. It's a bunch of Elohim. And just understand this. If the original writer of this was trying to get across that there were only two, there was the, you know, God most high and Satan talking. They would have made that clear using the root words. Okay. But instead we have root words of he fears Elohim. Job fears Elohim, he fears the gods. Then you get down here and then you see Yahweh again, which is the proper name of the God of Israel or Lord Yahweh as we'll refer to him here. Then there's Satan. So now there's three. One of them is actually a bunch of them. So you have Elohim, which is a group of the gods. Then you have Yahweh, which is one of the Elohim. And then you have Satan, which is an accuser. And by the way, Satan may actually be the one we just don't know here. And I, and I hate to say that because I don't want to sound that guy. Well, Satan was right. I'm not saying that, but I'm just saying, think about it. Look at what Yahweh does to him here in a little bit. And you ask yourself, who's the good guy in this story? I mean, just like we can look at the Garden of Eden and go, who's actually the good guy? Then Satan answered Yahweh and said, um, I've been going back and forth on the earth. Yahweh said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? For there is no one like him in the earth and blameless and an upright man who fears Elohim and turns away from evil. Then Satan answered Yahweh and said, Does Job fear Elohim for nothing? 
Haven't you made a hedge around him in and around his house and around all that he does on every side? And what what is Satan doing here? He's challenging Yahweh, specifically one cultural deity. He's challenging him because he's going, of course he, of course he serves the Elohim. Of course he fears you because you've done everything for him. You've protected him. You provide, he's rich. The dude is loaded. Satan's basically just playing what devil's advocate here, right? Like he's going, hey, you know. You have a hedge on every side. You have blessed the work of his hands and his substance is increased in the land. But stretch out your hand now and touch all that he has and he will certainly renounce you to your face. Yahweh said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only on himself don't stretch out your hand. So Yahweh is giving Satan power at this point. Basically, they shook hands, and he's like, yeah, go ahead, take it all away, go torture him, go do whatever you want to him, and he's still going to worship me. I'm that good, is basically what Yahweh is saying here. Satan went out from the presence of Yahweh. It fell on the day when his sons and his daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest, his brother's house. The message came to Job and said, the oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them, and the Sabaeans attacked and took them away, yes, they have unalived the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. Okay, then this continues the entire time. This Satan who is on the earth, who clearly has control of the earth, is going around and basically causing these things to happen to Job. And you have the rest of the book is literally watching Job get kicked while he's down. This is why this is one of the least enjoyable books of the Bible to study. And when you're trying to interpret it from the point of view that Job somehow still loved God, even after he got his butt kicked, it's going to leave you with a really weird feeling about God. But if you can understand that the gods it's talking about are what are considered the Elohim and people believed that they had literally made contact with these Elohim, they're what we might call extra dimensionals or extraterrestrials, okay? Depending on what you believe about reality, you're going to put them in a different classification. At the worst, they're just cultural deities and mythological archetypes given to people to try to understand the nature of reality, okay? At best, they're actual beings that came down from the stars or different dimensions and basically decided to be worshipped because, hey, we gave them their start. We're going to be their gods. We give them all the good things that they have. Doesn't matter what they do. We're in, we're in control of their fate. And by the way, we're going to prove that because now I'm going to give Satan control over Job's life. And all of these horrible calamities are going to befall him. What's up, Amy Lynn? How are you? So are we all the progeny of the Elohim? According to all the ancient myths, like every single ancient myth on the planet talks about the gods or the Elohim or a different version of that or the Anunnaki, the Anuna gods or the star people creating humanity. So in some form or fashion, yeah, we. I mean, everything within the biblical canon and the ancient mythos says that humanity didn't just crawl out of the muck. They were manipulated into being what we are. And if you read the Gospel of Judas, Jesus actually talks about the fallacy of that. 
And he says that the reason the human soul struggles so deeply is because we were trapped by Elohim. We were trapped by the gods into being what is considered an unholy union of heaven and earth. And basically Jesus in the gospel of Judas is revealing that, you know, hey, you did this to them and now the human soul has nowhere to go. Like the interesting line, he says something very similar to this in the biblical canon where he says, you know, he talks about the birds of the air, they have their nests and the fish of the sea have their bed, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. Like, what does that mean? Is that Jesus going, oh, woe is me? You know, I can't get anything good. I'm here to help humanity. I'm the savior of humanity and I don't even have a good house. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about the, like, think about it. Human beings are the only species on the planet that we have to freaking build everything. Everything that we have, we have to build it to serve us. Like a bird can just take sticks and they've got a nest. Poof. We have to take sticks. We have to take mud. We have to take animal parts from feathers to furs to everything just to freaking survive. And Jesus, I think, is revealing a very weird truth of why are humans even here? And if we are children of the gods, then by golly, we have rights as gods, okay? And if we have rights as gods, why are we not claiming those rights and saying, hello, I am a god, but I'm also yoked with the source, so I have the best of both worlds. I have heaven and earth authority within me. I'm a child of the Elohim, but I am also one with the source. Okay, this is what is called merging the bird and the snake. This is a very esoteric, you'll hear about this in, you know, occult circles and things like that. Secret societies talk about this. You have the bird and the snake, the God of the air and the God of the earth. And if you can bridge both of them, then you achieve your full potential. Is the son of man saying, I'm not from here? Absolutely. Um, Lots of debate on that. You know, Jesus saying, Jesus literally says he's not from earth. Whether that was added or not, I don't know. But I I don't think it was added because I think it it run that theme runs through all the Gnostic scriptures, and that's kind of my gauge of what is truth within what Jesus says in the Bible. Do, do the Gnostic scriptures talk about it? They were preserved, even though they burned them, they unalived people for it. You know, luckily we had a few good men and women who buried these things and preserved them for a very long time, so that we could find them. 1945 was actually one of the best years for discoveries. It was also a year, I believe, a portal was open. If you go watch the movie Oppenheimer, you'll know what I'm talking about. And when that portal opened, I think a lot of these things were allowed in a timeline to be found um, to, to continue to return knowledge to humanity. And oddly enough, a lot of these wouldn't even see the light of day until the 80s, 90s, and even 2000s. And now we have things like the Gospel of Judas, we have the Gospel of Philip, the Gospel of Mary Magdalene, the Gospel of Thomas, all of which really corroborate each other and what Jesus says in the canonical Gospels and the idea of him not being from around here. And in fact, Martin and I were having a conversation earlier um, over on my private um, hub, over on my website. I'll talk about that here in a minute. Um, but the idea of when Jesus talked about his father, his heavenly father, the word he uses is oreos. 
You know, like the cookie Oreos, the Greek word Oreos or Oranios literally means sky, but it doesn't necessarily mean the physical sky above your head. There's a Sanskrit word that is Akasha, and the word Akasha means sky, but it was always understood and interpreted to mean like ethos, sky around, like the air around you. So the Oreos, when he says my my heavenly father, he's talking about my basically my father in the ether. And, and remember, guys, if you look back at old periodic tables, you'll see ether as one of the elements. Very weird, very interesting. Um, you know, and and I'll I'll try to share that. I saw that the other day. I'm going to shut the door real quick. My wife is walking in and I do have to get going guys real quick. I want to share, if you want to continue this conversation, we're going to get deep into this and understand merging the bird and the snake. We're going to understand merging our heavenly, our Oreos, our God, our quantum God self, which is our true self and rooting that down into our God, our Elohim self. Okay. This is the magic of manifesting. Okay, and we're going to talk about some really interesting things on Saturday. That's going to be only available over in my Mythos membership. If you want to support what I'm doing, it's super affordable, guys. For what you get, uh, you get access to my private community. It's off of social media. I have an entire professionally built hub off of social media. It's family friendly. It's a great safe space, a co-mentor space. We have our live meetups, which are done over a Zoom style call every Saturday. There's also a book club on Wednesday nights. Um, bonus videos over in what I call Cubs Corner. It's kind of my private feed over there, stuff I don't share publicly. You also have access directly to every podcast episode. You also have access to my private blog where I do a lot of my research and do longer papers. Thank you, Laura. Appreciate it. All you have to do is scan this QR code or go to www.cubcooker.com, cubcooker.com. You can click on my profile, bio, or the description, depending on where you're watching or listening. Super affordable. Guys, it's 2024. We're into January already. If you're ready to take things to the next level and really authentically explore your own mythos and your own set of agreements, and you're tired of other people putting their beliefs on you, please consider joining our community because I'm never going to tell you how to do life or what to believe, but I promise I will continue to share my knowledge. I will continue to connect you with people in the community. I will continue to point you within yourself to find answers. And this is a great way that you can get access to an awesome, awesome, loving community, as well as a ton of resources. If you like what I'm doing here publicly, you're going to love what's going on over there in the community. So please check that out. I will send you a welcome post today. We just welcomed about 25 new members uh, today since like the beginning of January. Thank you guys so much. Um, really, really honored to have so many people jumping on board. Don't miss out, guys. It is super affordable right now. I am going to be changing the offer soon. So if you like the offer now, get it while you can. I really appreciate you guys. Okay, to finish this up, we're going to touch on this some more tomorrow. I'm going to do a stream tomorrow morning. Um, we'll do a little bit more about um, Job, but I want to talk real quick about kind of the three uh, or four top ones in this pantheon here. Um, so you have El Elyon, which is basically King Anu. These are the archetypes. King Anu from the Sumerian. This is El, 
God Most High, King of the Gods. It's basically an off-earth deity. Very rarely, if not at all, comes to earth. Uh, always, basically, people have to go up to him. This is probably who like Enoch would have met. This is who, uh, in the Sumerian tablets, Adam or Damu actually went up and met with. Um, this is probably even Noah in like the book of Noah goes up and meets God most high. Um, again, standing face to face, getting to meet this off earth God. Um, and so that's going to be God most high. Then you have Baal, which, you know, if you're within the Christian mythos, you know, Baal was always like the big baddie, uh, when really, you know, he's in Lil, he's, he's, he's in Lil, which is the God of rain, thunder, fertility, didn't like serpents, basically your archetypal storm god. Then you have Yam. This is in the Canaanite pantheon. These are these are the names you'll hear in the biblical mythos. Uh, is Yam, and that's the god of the sea associated with serpents and knowledge. Again, Enki, the archetype of Lord Enki, Lord of the Earth. So you have Lord of the Air, Lord of the Earth, and then the God Most High, which is the off-earth deity. Now, what's interesting about this is Yahweh or Yahu or Yahuwah is the Old Testament cultural deity. He's Lord of the air, the archetype of a storm god, but also he says he's the Lord of the earth. So he basically adopts, but he basically dethrones Baal and Yam, Anki and Enlil, and becomes what we call um, Yahweh or Yahu. And this is essentially Marduk in the Babylonian pantheon so marduk and i'll put that in the notes for you guys um the, the, so very very interesting just because we got to understand like how this all works together right um so he famously says you should have no other gods before me again clearly admitting there are other gods he says i am that i am and there's conflicting views on this um, I think there was originally a quantum intelligence that was revealing itself to people, maybe through this extra dimensional technology that was trying to basically say, you can do whatever you want to do. You, you like, I'm the substance that will become whatever you need me to become. And then clearly we see Moses is really like the first time this Yahweh character begins to really start wreaking uh, a lot of havoc. Um, we can go back and look where he wreaks a lot of havoc in, um, you know, like the flood narrative as well. Uh, but it's, it seems like he really starts adopting all of these archetypes post Moses. Um, and it makes us wonder like the, the idea of Tulpa or, um, thought forms, things becoming reality because we think them and feel them and want them and agree to them. Um, might be a part of this. So I'm going to talk more about the other gods tomorrow. We've got Moloch, Asherah, Asarte, Dagon, Cathar, Lothan, and Mot. By the way, all of these are really important to understanding this point of view and really taking the biblical mythos back to the Canaanite pantheon and even further back to the Sumerian, Babylonian, Akkadian, or what we call the larger Mesopotamian mythos. Um, all of this super important, guys. If you want to have more conversations with me and other people around this, please consider joining our Mythos community. And if you want access, we're going to do a literal workshop on Saturday. So please, please come check it out. Our workshop on Saturday is fantastic. So uh, Wendy wants to know, 501c3, uh, I would love your opinion on a church having one. I do not have one. I do not plan on having one. Um, my business is set up as an LLC. Um, 
you know, not to tell you how the sausage is made, but um, I'm just a big fan of, you know, I, I am for profit and I'm aware of that and I am um, honest about that. And um, I think that it's very telling that one of the largest organizations in the world is what we consider the modern day church. Um, everyone argues, well, my denomination is better than yours, but think about where it all stems from um, and all of it having this exemption status. Very interesting, very interesting. And I've worked uh, in, out, and around that construct for quite many, many years of my life. Not, no, I don't want to say anything negative about it, but I will say um, I know a lot of people who have worked on the inside that don't agree with that status being available. Um, so, yeah, just totally my opinion, Wendy. Uh, that's why, again, uh, I like what I do. I like doing this full time. This is my job. This is my business. This is my, some call it a mission. I call it my life's work. Um, I love it and I do it for real and I do it for profit. I do it to support my family, to build um, my narrative that I am building around my life and the lives of others. Um, and I'm, and I'm very happy with that. So no, no desire to go down that road and try to try to have that status for anything. Cause I just don't feel like it's right for, uh, the type of thing that I do. And I think that it's probably not right for a whole lot of other different, what you would consider ministries and stuff as well. Um, because there's just a lot of problems to it. it even creates like a weird complex within the construct of like, well, we don't have the money for that. And it's like, well, when you're having to go to zero all the time rather than actually build something, um, and clearly some mega churches and stuff have built some things, but there's some interesting uh, things behind that too. Uh, we, we could talk about that someday. We'll probably probably get into that at some point. But uh, So that's a really good question, Wendy. I appreciate the question. So um, anyway, lots and lots of good questions today. Thank you guys so much. I appreciate you. Um, I'm going to see, this is one of the nicest days I've had. I'm going to go outside. I'm going to go spend some time with my wife. It's like 60 degrees here now. Best day we've had in a long time. And I need to go get outside. So I'm going to see you guys tomorrow. I'll be live around 11 AM central standard time. We'll continue like part two of this. So come check it out. Love you guys. If you join today, I'll personally welcome you over there. Um, I'll send you a welcome video as well as make a welcome post for you. So please consider joining. And I'd love to have you in the manifesting workshop on Saturday. So if you like what I'm talking about, we're going to spin all of this stuff into one, uh, one accessible, applicable, um, and changeable for you personally framework on manifesting. I'm going to share some of the, the real literal results I've had from using this with the community. I don't do this publicly because I need to be able to talk to you. Okay. This isn't just for me to sit there and spit stuff at you. This is, we're going to workshop it. Okay. You're going to come to me with the things you really want. I'm going to, you're going to share it with the group. We're going to have an honest to God workshop and we're going to start doing a lot more workshops on Saturday. So I love you guys. I'll see you there. Mythos community. Do not miss Saturday. If you're not in the mythos community, please come and join. We will continue with Job tomorrow. I love you guys. Y'all have a beautiful day. God bless. Namaste and peace.